You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, well, welcome everyone. Good to see everyone here for our new class. Reshape, how the reality of Jesus reshapes everything. And I'm so glad to see so many people out tonight. And I do recognize that's usually the case at the beginning of a class. Uh, We'll see how week six we're doing, okay? So uh, it's good, though. And uh, I hope you feel comfortable. Um, Again, we're still living, still living in strange times. And so if you're wanting to spread out, don't hesitate at all to spread out. Go off and if, if you just feel more comfortable that way. There is still, um, even next week, if you're like, wow, there's too many people here, you just come online, that's fine. Um, we got, oh, how many? We got, uh, yeah, probably with, all together, we've got about 70 people online. So, yeah, so it's, it's really good. Um, okay, so... Let's, uh, let's begin with prayer, and we will dive right in, okay? Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness and for this chance to gather. We don't take this for granted. Thank you for uh, everyone who's here from all over the place, uh, from as far away as Alberta, from uh, gathering uh, to learn. Learn your word and learn what it means to follow you. And what your reality means for our lives and for how we interact with this world. And so we do pray that you would guide our conversation tonight. We commit tonight to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here we go. Uh, Just a reminder, um, so my name is David Wood. Some of you I have not met. Uh, I am uh, one of the pastors here and I do teach a, a lot of the classes here. And so this class is called Reshape. How the reality of Jesus uh, reshapes how we see the world. And uh, it's kind of fun, too, because this class we're also offering as a uh, for-credit course at Pacific Life Bible College. And we have some students who are taking it for credit, and uh, some online and some in person. And so that's kind of cool. So that's a, that's a new venture that we're trying out. Um, tonight we're going to begin with our misshaped world. And I want to begin by asking you a question. And um, those of you who are online, you can answer this question um, through the chat. Um, And some of you, if you want to answer the question, you could just kind of shout it out. But here's one of the questions. Um, How is being a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, how has that challenged you in how you see reality? What areas do you find being a Christ follower really makes it difficult for you to engage with a particular area? So what are some of the areas that you find following Jesus Christ uh, quite difficult? Soren, do you want to grab another chair? I'm not sure if this lady needs a chair. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Al. Oh, okay, yeah. They, when I work in different situations, that especially in uh, big construction places, a lot of construction uh, people, they tend to be uh, quite through the narrow life is about me. Okay, so what I was saying, this is one of the realities of doing a, a Zoom and in person. So you guys probably can't hear it. I will repeat 
Uh, just so you know, I'll repeat what comes from here and I'll repeat what comes uh, from the chat. Um, but what Al was pointing out is just the challenge of living a faithful Christian life in a world that you could say is increasingly hostile to the things of truth, the things of Jesus, the things of God. Um, yeah, and just how you navigate that, especially if there's strong pushback, right? For sure. I saw somebody said, uh, hope in hopeless times, moral values, uh, challenge at work, parenting, absolutely. Um, the question of absolutes, that, you know, how do you speak of truth in a world where there is no truth or you just have personal truth? That's a real challenge. What else? Can you think of anything else? Well, yeah, okay, so how, put it, let me put it differently. How does a Christian see the state? What is the relationship between the Christian and the state? What is the role of a state? What is, um, what is the good role of a state? How, how, how do we think Christianly about politics? Well, we are actually going to cover that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be lots of consensus on this, um, but I think it is. I think one of the biggest challenges, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is we need to learn to think Christianly about politics. And it's usually an area like ah, or it's just like well, we just need to obey, or we need to rebel. But there's there's other ways that we can approach this. Um, okay. Um, I see a world in terms of God's word, which means that a lot of people don't understand how I perceive culture and politics. Trusting God versus trusting government. Well, there's a theme, yeah. The role of the state. <laughs> uh, politics doesn't always align with my biblical teaching. Wow, man, yeah, there we go. Any other things while we're at it? <laughs> Yeah, okay, so what does it mean to be a witness in the world today in a way that is winsome and draws people to Jesus rather than maybe coming across as maybe self-righteous or fixing or that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, and what should our model be? Because I'm glad you say the early church, because should the early church be our model? Have things changed? Those are other good questions. Wow, okay, here we go. Okay, now just so you guys are online, don't be debating with each other while we're doing this class, okay? <laughs> okay, here we go. Not that you do that, I'm, I'm sure. Um, we're going to start, we're going to start with, uh, we're going to listen into a conversation between two people walking along a road. And the road, we know the road, is called the Emmaus Road. And so if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay, you can just listen. Can you listen to the story? Luke chapter 24, verse 13, begins with these words. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. 
And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in the, there in these, in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was one, the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Now, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them to them all, in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going to go farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us? on the road while he opened to us the scriptures and they rose at the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon then they told him what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread so here we have a story of two disciples their disciples they know scripture, they would be familiar with the scriptures, and I find it comforting that you have these two people who know the scriptures, and yet they are confused. It reminds me of myself. <laughs> I'm often confused. Um, but they're, they're disciples steeped in the culture of the people of God, but they're living in a world of competing stories. So what are the stories that they're hearing? They're living in a world of competing stories. What are some of the stories that they're hearing? Well, what's the competing story that they're hearing coming out of the Roman Empire? Well, a criminal has just been executed. And he had it coming. For a group called the Sanhedrin is finally, finally a heretic and a threat has been dealt with by God. For the Pharisees, we've gotten rid of a failed pretender to be a Messiah. For the disciples who had followed Jesus, there's disappointment. There's confusion. We had thought that this guy was the long-expected one. The Messiah. But now it looks like we're wrong. It seems like we're wrong. And so here we have in our passage, we find these disciples feeling confused. 
when they were with Jesus, they were faced with a story that made sense of everything. Made sense of their lives, made sense of where they were at in, in history, made sense of everything. But now it all seems to have fallen apart. The Roman Empire and its story seem to have triumphed. And so we find these two downcast, afraid, anxious, and confused. Anybody feeling downcast, anxious, afraid, and confused these days? I think a lot of people are feeling this way. Now, this is the important point. While they're feeling downcast, anxious, confused, afraid, Jesus draws near to them. Now, we can't miss that. Because when we are feeling that way, we know that the one we worship will draw near to us. And it's in the context of confusion and fear that Jesus draws near. That's really important. But the disciples, they see Jesus, but they don't recognize him. There's something about the way he presented him that they did not recognize him, even though, even though he's right in front of them. They did not recognize him, even though he's standing in front of them. How many times in our life we do not recognize the presence of Jesus even though he's right there? Eh? We struggle to see how he's with us. And we struggle to see how Jesus, his reality intersects with our lives, with our school, with politics, with our sexuality, with our identity, with, with, um, with technology, with, with what we buy, how we see the environment, all these things. And so the problem is, it seems to be one of the problems, is that these disciples, and I would say ourselves as well, we can't see properly. Our eyes are blurry. Now, I've, I think I've shared this story before. Did I ever tell you, my, my eldest daughter wears glasses, right? So Hannah. Actually, both my daughters wear glasses, but Hannah's really, she really needs glasses. So when she was um, grade two, we're sitting at the table, at the supper table, and we're all sitting around the supper table, and I was just goofing around. In my house, we have books everywhere. Shocker, I know. Um, but in our kitchen, in our dining room, the whole wall is covered with books. And so I just said, and Hannah was sitting on the fire, and I said, Hannah, I said, uh, let's see how good your eyesight is. I don't know why I just said it. I said, uh, what does this book say? Read out the letters. And it was a pretty big book and pretty big print. And she was like, grade two. And she's like, F, Q, Z, X. And I'm like, Hannah, stop goofing around. I said, uh, what, what, what do you think it says? Oh, she goes, okay, I'm sorry. Um, Z, B, Q, and I said, can you not see? She goes, no, not really. <laughs> I said, you can't see? And she goes, no. I said, well, what do you do at school? I said, can you see the, can you see the, the whiteboard? Not really. I said, well, what do you do? She goes, I sit up front and I ask my classmates. And so we took her to the doctor, but she's blind as a bat. Well, she's not blind, but she, she, just, she can't see very well, right? Her and her, so she can't make sense of things. 
But she was going through life and she was able to cope without really being able to see clearly. And so much of our lives is we go through our lives and we can cope, but can we see things clearly? And, uh, and sometimes we don't know, like Hannah didn't know. She, she thought everybody's eyesight was like this. Like that's just the way eyes are. Like she didn't know any better. And sometimes we're like that as well. We just, that's just the way of the world. That's just the way the world is. And we can't see differently. And when we can't see things clearly, we lose sight of what matters. Things of value begin to fade. We get dis- things get distorted. And we get confused, like the disciples on the Emmaus Road. And so I want to, I mean, you think about our world today. Think about our world today. In our world, we are more connected than we ever have. I mean, look at, look at this. I mean, we're connected all over the place. And yet, more and more studies show that we are more lonely than we ever have been. I shared this before, but there was an, I think it was an MP in England who was given the, this new portfolio to deal with the issue of loneliness in England. Because people are, are, are really struggling with this. And this was before COVID. Can you imagine now, right? So we're, more, we're so connected, but we are more lonely than ever. Sexually, we can enter into intimacy with a swipe of the phone. Or swipe right, I guess. I don't know. Uh, And yet we feel really disconnected from one another. So many people are feeling isolated. Not even able. And feeling anxious. I talk to a lot. um, I talk to my kids. And I'll say to them, I said, because I notice that they don't talk on the phone. They text, but they don't. I said, do you ever call anyone on the phone? No, no. One time I asked one of my kids, can you call? No, no. I said, why? I said, you just talk on the phone. Oh, no, no. That's just, that would just be too hard. Today we're able, in theory, if we have the right tests, to travel anywhere. But we feel dislocated. We don't feel home anywhere. Um, we're constantly asking the question, where do I belong? And there's this restlessness in our world today. Technology, technology has developed to the point where we can save more time than we ever could before through all these time-saving devices. And yet, if you ask most people, how would they describe their lives? Busier than ever. Busier than ever. Um, so many people are so busy and it's making them very anxious. Now, it's interesting, uh, in our Dante book club, um, we're reading uh, Dante's Divine Comedy and it's interesting because one of, the, one of the vices that people struggle with is the vice of sloth. And sloth, you typically think of, of moving slow and being lazy. But actually, in the medieval world, traditionally, Sloth is associated with busyness. Where you're so busy doing so many things except for the things that matter. You're so distracted doing so many things that the needful things of living before Jesus is, is, is forgotten. We live in it with an economy that's more and more productive. And yet it becomes more and more volatile. 
if I hear one more thing about supply chains and, and chips and chip shortages and, and uh, you know, when Amazon shuts down, like it did well, two months ago, the whole world shuts down. And so we feel uneasy about the future. Uh, troops are amassing in, in Eastern Europe. And, and, and I read a recent stat about people, people just across the board in Canada not wanting to work anymore. People are just done with work, which is interesting. When, when you think about how important work is, and we're going to explore that, that part of being human is to work, to do good work. But we live in a world where fewer and fewer people want to work even. Uh, so we ask the question, will there be money for retirement? Will I be able to retire? Will I still get free health care? Will the environment, what kind of state will that be in for my kids? Will there be life on this planet? And then we talked about post-modernity. Post-modernity is, is, is a worldview that where everything we thought was true is being deconstructed and is now very fashionable to be an ex-evangelical, an ex-Christian, and to deconstruct your faith and to be at a point where there is no truth, there's just personal truth. You have your truth and I have my truth and there's nothing that we can appeal to beyond us. And so we wonder, is there anything that we can build our lives on? Other questions like, who am I? Are increasingly difficult to answer when our identities are fluid and are always changing. And the other thing about our world today is that there's a lot of words. There's so many words. There's so much noise everywhere, everywhere. And there's so many words, but so little meaning. And we're surrounded by noise. And we don't know what to do with it. And then everyone ends up just talking among themselves to people who agree with them. <laughs> because the moment you disagree with someone, it's, it gets really toxic. Because we have lost the ability to have civil discussion. And so what has resulted in our world is this prevailing sense of cynicism. Not skepticism, but cynicism. This is the way things are, things will never change, and the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And I think as a result, we're confused. I think a lot of people today are confused and our lives feel fragmented. We go to church and we're told these sorts of things. And we go to work and we're told these sorts of things. And our lives feel broken into a billion little pieces. And we feel distracted because we're like, this is really important stuff. I should focus on this. But look, there's something that's just come across my newsfeed. It's kind of funny. Oh, wait, what was I doing? And we're always distracted. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we, maybe we begin to wonder, like the couple on the Emmaus Road, whether or not the story of Scripture is true, or maybe it's true for Sunday morning, but not, not for my workplace, not for the real world. And so people are asking the question, I think people are asking the question, what does my faith have to do with the real world? That's why I'm running this class. Has our blurred vision stopped us from seeing Jesus in our lives and in our world? Now, notice what Jesus does. 
when he sees the uh, disciples. Notice what he does. Um, he doesn't just come up to them and say, hey, 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 it's me, Jesus. You thought I was dead, but I'm alive. It's all good. He doesn't do that. He comes up and says, why are you guys so upset? What, what happened? I, well, what happened? And then what does he do? He shares the biblical story with them. He tells them the story. And stories are so important. Stories help us understand where we live. And so these disciples, they had lost sight of the true story. What J.R.R. Tolkien once called the story of all stories, and they were confused, they were blinded, and they were blinded by all the circumstances around them. And here's the thing, when, when, we're, when, we're, when we lose sight of the true story, we're blind to the presence and the activity of God in and around us. And so we try to make our way through life with our heads down, anxious, and afraid. And the last person that these disciples expected to see was Jesus. I mean, supposedly he was dead on the cross. And they didn't recognize him, even though he was there. And I, I get that, because I'm so busy running through life that I miss Jesus when he's there. And so what does Jesus do? Well, he does two things. He opens their eyes, he opens their minds to understand the true story of Scripture. Right? What does he say? He says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. And this is where I'm like, Luke, a little detail would have been really helpful at this point, right? You know, <laughs> Just give us a little bit of detail, but we don't get it. But he says, yeah, he kind of lays out the story. And, uh, and that's one of the projects in this class. We're going to look at the story of reality as God sees it. The grand story of the Bible. And we're going to look at how this story has a beginning. Who God is, what it means to be human. This story has an end. And that you and I are stuck in the middle. We're somewhere in the middle of the story. We are in the middle of a story that God has written. And is writing. And so we need to get a sense of where we're at. And so for you and I to understand how to see the world, we need to know the biblical story. And then we'll find our place in it. The second thing that Jesus does is he opens up their eyes to see him. And as this story is unveiled... It's interesting. As a story is unveiled, what happens? They call him. They say, well, you can come and, come and eat with us. And in the, in the place of communion, of deep relationship, sharing a meal together, Jesus is revealed. He's revealed in the breaking of the bread. And they go from not seeing Jesus to seeing Jesus. Which is a reminder, and we're going to touch on this. What I'm not going to teach you in this class is simply a worldview. Because you could have a worldview, a Christian worldview, and miss Jesus. That's the weird part. A lot of us, we, don't, we, we need Christian worldviews, but we need it as it connects to Jesus. And so, they see Jesus. They finally see Jesus. And Jesus, I don't know how it happened, he disappears. So they're having this bread. That's, where did he go, right? He's gone. 
And so how do they respond? What's their response? Yeah, we're not our hearts burning within us. They have to, it's nighttime. They told Jesus to stay with them because it's dark. Didn't matter. They got up and they made the trek all the way back. And they're so full of passion. They're so excited. They're so excited. This Jesus is alive. And do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? Everything we thought about him is true. Everything. And part of me, a big part of me, longs to have that passion in my own life. Oh, I wish I had that passion where it's just like my heart is burning within me. Jesus is real and it makes all the difference to everything. Instead, I get overcome. So I want to ask you this question. And maybe it's a too personal of a question. But where are you at in your life tonight? How are you feeling? If you describe the, the state of your soul, um, are you afraid, downcast, discouraged, confused, optimistic, hopeful? Where would you be? Might be too personal of a question. Well, I just spent an hour on the phone with the Mount Seymour reservation thing for you know, a day pass. So you're like, you know, buy a day pass and you don't leave it home. It gets you the reservation time and stuff. That's fine. Buy a season pass. You, know, you have to make reservations for 14 days to go. And then there's a three-day, you know, three nights. Yeah. So I can't find it. I'm looking everywhere. So I call. I'm on hold for 45 minutes. And then I get up. <laughs> and then I call again. And I get a message on that. Michael, Michael. I said, Michael, I'm, I'm not Benjamin, but here's the story. And uh, he's like, oh, well, with the three day, with the three ski pass, you don't actually need to make a reservation. I said, where does it say that? He says, it doesn't say that. That's the problem. Yes. So we're hearing from Michael his challenges on the phone for 45 minutes and being cut off and then on the phone again it's not funny uh <laughs> at this but but it's just frustrating well it's so frustrating and it's funny that you say mountain senior because i went to reserve snowshoeing i was gonna say horseshoeing no snowshoeing and the button didn't work and i had to call as well so yes yes but i mean it's all this technology, we're so connected. And yet, and yet, yes. Okay, well, you're smiling, and I appreciate that. What do you guys got? Overwhelmed, discouraged, and afraid, desperately clinging to Jesus, defeated. Oh, wow. Yeah. Anyone else? How many of you find it just with, with the ongoingness of, of COVID? just really overwhelming at times like you're just feeling done and then you get back off the mat again and then you're down and it's like okay i gotta get back up again yeah i find it's, it's very difficult like emotionally and mentally to keep going in in this state of time and this is what you know i always teach classes that i need the most 
So I hope you realize. So whenever class, whatever class I teach, it's usually a class that I'm, it's subjects that I'm wrestling with. And one of the subjects that I'm always wrestling with is how to see G, how to see the world, all aspects of the world through the lens of Jesus, because I think this is so important. Gorg, you gonna say? Yeah. Yeah. What I'm struggling with, my own heart and mind, is do I truly believe in the sovereignty of God? Do I believe in this? I'm just gonna repeat it. So, do do you believe in the sovereignty of God? Yeah. Right. So yeah, you know, yeah, the two sides of the camp, you know, facts, the unfacts, the two facts. Uh, then some people are still very much afraid. Okay, well, if you're a Christian, do you not have that fear? Do you believe the sovereignty of God to, to override that? Then there's the unfacts that say, well, I don't think, because I don't know what poison you're going to put in me. Well, then are we not trusting God's sovereignty on that side? Yeah. And so there's this, oh, okay, that's good. That's there's fair. this thing yeah. that's going on, and he's saying, Okay, apart from the COVID thing, where is my view of God's sovereignty? Yeah, very good. How is it working out in my mind and my heart on a daily basis? Oh, that... And it gets me to go deeper than the COVID stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of rattling my inner cage a little bit. Yeah, so Gord's talking about how the, with, in, with COVID and vaccinations and all those sorts of things, what's, what's kind of under, underneath that that's being challenged is do I trust in the sovereignty of God in the details of life? Because we do academically and sometimes theologically, but when the rubber hits the road, do we really? Right? Yeah, that's, wow, that's, I appreciate you saying that. God gives me hope up and down, but I'll trust, yeah. Okay, some people are feeling thankful. That's good, that's positive. Uh, <laughs> fatigued. Well, yeah, Susan. You're thankful and optimistic. I've had a couple of, of my friends pass away just within the last two weeks. Mm. And I'm thinking how fortunate I am to have healthy friendships. And they're all, you know, I would say, what I would call normal, mm -hmm. almost. Yeah. And So my, 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 my dear sister Sue was saying um, that, uh, you know, she's had some difficulties with, with people passing away, but she also feels quite optimistic and, and you're thankful for the family you have and your grandchildren, who are pretty normal apparently. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, and for the church. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Jim was saying that, uh, you know, if you're a parent, and many of you here are, are parents with young kids, um, they, these are trying times. There's a lot of decisions that parents need to make that are really hard to make. Yeah, well, different philosophies as well as just some, some other stuff. That's, yeah, wow. Well, here's the thing. This passage reminds us to be hopeful. Uh, Jesus does desire for us to see him, to give us understanding of his presence and purpose for this world, to reignite our passion, to follow him in our daily life. And Jesus longs for us to see the world in focus. 
And so that's what this course is all about. It's about what does it mean to see the world through Jesus. And so that's, our, that's my prayer, that, that uh, this class in some ways would be our Emmaus Road. And so I want you to think about it. We, we don't have to talk about it now, but... Well, actually, maybe I will ask you. Um, what is one area... Or what, let me put it this way, just in a broad sense. What is one hope that you have to get out of this class? Or, or what do you hope to get out of this class? You guys write it down? What do you hope to get out of this class? Some of you want credit. I know my students over there, they want three credits. That's what they hope. They, they hope to get an A. You hope to get out of this class, yes, eventually, yeah. Thank you, Gord. Yeah. Next week, next week, I got it all arranged. Strengthen, yeah, to, to carry on without cookies, yeah. Okay, so here are other people's views and to help reshape how you think about things. Good. Yeah. Uh, to go deeper in the word, I need more of Jesus and understanding to share with my non-believing contacts. Peace and trust. Good. Is there a particular area? It's like, you know what? I'm really wanting to know as a Christian, how do I think about blank? Jean? Yeah. Have you not heard? You're the only guy who hasn't heard. Yeah. Yeah, and, and one of the things that comes out of that is the reality that Jesus is, is, was present the whole time, right? But they're like, where, 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 where have you been, right? <laughs> Interesting. Cool, well, all right, well. So, in this class, we are going to be looking at um, worldviews. Now, when I say worldview, what comes to mind? What's that? The news. the news. Okay, yeah, the news, yeah. Yeah, that's true, yeah. What else comes to mind when I say the word worldview? Pop culture. How so? I'm curious. Sort of the, the mainstream thought processes and, and different things that we're all kind of hit with uh, as people through life. Okay, yeah, so all the, all the different approaches to life that comes to us via the, the pop world. Absolutely, yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 I was a master's student who was completing a degree in theology. I was in a Bible study, wasn't doing Revelation. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so I've done it years ago with Paul Stevens. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah, amazing that. And uh, 
first time I heard something new about the new Babylon. Yeah. I heard it isn't a place. It's how we're using the computer today. Oh, interesting. Because uh, our virtual reality is replacing our connection. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, even the world that. That's a story I think that the, the worldview that says we can create our own worlds and place ourselves into these artificial worlds and live according to the rules that maybe we want to make is a whole new development in the metaverse that, uh, that we, we would never have seen coming uh, 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, the virtual. That's a whole interesting topic in itself to look at uh, virtual learning and the virtual reality. Yeah. Huh. That's good. Well, here's I have a couple definitions just for you on on what is a worldview. I think they have them in your notes. One is a, um, a standard one by a guy named James Sire in his book Worldviews Next Door. He says a worldview is a commitment. A fundamental orientation of the heart that can be expressed as a story or in a set of presuppositions, assumptions that may be true, partially true, or entirely false, which we hold about basic nature of reality that provides a foundation for how we live our life. Okay, so it's an orientation of how we see the world and it can be expressed in a story. That's interesting. Uh, this uh, other definition, worldview, is an articulation of the basic beliefs embedded in a shared story, grand story, that are rooted in a faith commitment and give shape and direction to the whole of our individual and corporate lives. So it's a it's a it's a view of uh, of a of a story that shapes all of reality that we're committed to. And so worldviews tend to try to answer four basic questions. Four basic questions. What is real? What is good? What is a problem? And what is the solution? Everybody's trying to answer those four questions in life. I don't care if they, they know it or not, but everybody's trying to answer those four questions. What, what is the nature of reality? What is good? What's the problem in the world? And what's the solution? Everybody's trying to answer these questions. But these questions are being tackled, they're being wrestled with within the context of story. That is why story is really important. Let me give you an example of this. I love this example by N.T. Wright. If I said to you, which is, I'll say to you pretty much every day at this time of year, it's going to rain. <laughs> it's going to rain. Now, if I say that to you, it's going to rain, what does that mean? What's that? We live in BC. We live in BC. Okay, yeah. So it's going to it's going to rain. What's new? We live in BC. Get used to it, kind of thing, right? Okay. Now, if we're living in 1984 in Ethiopia in the summer, and I said it's going to rain, what does that mean? Hope's coming. Hope is coming because they experienced such a devastating drought. If, if I'm on top of a mountain and I tell my servant, what do you see? And he sees a cloud and he says, it's going to rain and I'm a prophet. What does that mean? 
Yeah, the end of judgment and hope. Wherever you are, if, if, okay, if you're living in Abbotsford a month ago and it's going to rain, what are you thinking? Oh no. <laughs> oh no, right? So the point is, is that words take place within stories. And stories are really, really important. And, and so you need to understand the story that frames our life. And part of the fun that we're going to have in this class is we are going to be unpacking stories. We're going to be looking at what are some of the stories that we find embedded within different things. So, for example, let me give you a fun example. Uh, you guys, everybody has watched Friends. Everybody watch Friends? Everybody watch the show Friends? What's Friends? Yeah, you're not fooling anyone. Um, okay, so there's this show called Friends, right? Right, okay. I was going to say four people. How many? There's six people, right? Okay, so in the show, there's this character named Chandler, Chandler Bing. And he gets together with this woman named Monica Geller, okay? And they start dating. Well, they start sleeping together, and then they start dating. <laughs> and then the big moment comes in Friends, and you'll probably, you, you must remember this, is when Chandler asks Monica if they could move in together. And if you, if you, if you watch that episode, how did the studio audience re respond? Okay, maybe I've watched it a few too many times. <laughs> the, the audience roared in cheering. This was a huge, huge moment. This was, this was the biggest moment in the relationship because they took it to the next logical step to move into it with each other. Yeah, a few seasons later, they get married. But... In that moment, what is the story being told? What's that? Yes, yeah. Think of a larger story. What's that? Of course. I would think of it because yeah, I've never seen the show. <laughs> that promiscuity is celebrated. Because of the reaction of the, uh, of the audience. It's a highlight. That's what I'm getting. Well, it was, yeah, I mean, w w the story that's being told is that in normal relationships, the next step in a relationship from the time of sleeping together is to move in with each other, followed by maybe, and this show, this, the show's dated, because would marriage even factor in anymore? Maybe not. But then marriage was, so that's the story that's embedded into the show. Okay, so we think about stories. Okay, so... Uh, let me think of another story. Um, let's think of... Um, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of... Um, Brady Bunch. <laughs> Brady Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Dirty Harry, but that's, I'm dating myself a little bit. Okay. okay, think about a movie where the hero... Okay, think about Rambo. Do you guys remember Rambo? It might be before your time, some of you. Okay, Rambo, at the very end, there's a bunch of people trying to arrest him. He's a former Vietnam vet, and they're trying to arrest him, and he ends up 
wiping out most of the people trying to arrest him in the city of hope. Uh, <laughs> that's where it was filmed, in hope. We watch these shows of vengeance. We, all, we watch these shows where, you know, something bad happens and the person goes out and they're like, you know, you messed with my friend, you messed with the wrong person. Right? And we're like, yeah! Well done! But what story are we embodying? What story are we embracing? Revenge. That revenge is the only proper response to when you are wronged. So what we have to realize is that there's a lot of stories that are out there. One guy, a comedian named George Carlin says, get a person to laugh at something and you can, you can, you can teach them anything. You can hide any worldview into whatever if you can get a person laughing. And so part of our challenge is to look at the stories. Now, part of the an added complexity is uh, many of you are not from Canada. And so you come from cultures where there's different assumptions, different ways of thinking about what is right and what is wrong and the nature of family and process and all sorts of things. So that's an added complexity. I just watched this movie called um, uh, The Farewell. Has anybody watched that? It's a Chinese film. Um, it's interesting because the, the Chinese film is not called The Farewell, it's called Bie Gao which is don't tell her. And the whole thing is about a grandmother who has been given three months to live. She doesn't know, the whole family knows, but they don't tell her in order to protect her. And so the question is, and, but that's a very Eastern thing to do. And so that, that also factors in. Anyhow, these stories are all over the place. Okay, what's the story? What's the movie? Don't, don't look. <laughs> I was wondering. I was going to mention that one. I just watched that last week. Yeah, that was an interesting movie. Don't look up. Uh, an, uh, an... Yeah, I think that it was a very interesting movie. Good old Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> okay. Anyhow, let's focus in. <laughs> Aquafino. Yeah, she's in it. Yeah. Um, so we're surrounded by a lot of false stories. And, and that's part of the challenge, is everywhere we look, we're faced with a story. Everywhere on our newsfeed, we are faced with a story and a, with an, an assumption about this is the way things are. So how do we navigate our way through that? That's part of the challenge of this course. And because here's the thing, my guess is that none of you here made a decision at some point in your life to embrace deconstructionism. Any, any uh, full expressed deconstructionists in our midst? Yeah? Well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a philosophy from the early 20th century, right? Nobody is probably reading any of the deconstructionist writers from the early 20th century. But if I said to you, how many of you know this if somebody says to you, hey man, Jonathan, that's your truth and that's cool for you. I got my own truth and that's cool for me and that's, that's just the way it is. You live your truth, you do you, and I'll do me, and we have our own way of doing things. How many of you ever heard that before, that story? Okay, that's deconstructionism. 
But nobody thinks their way into that. It's just in the air around us. And it affects us way more. And we experience our way into these things. And so we need to be, pay attention. What are the competing stories in our culture? There's lots of stories, lots of stories, and we'll be unpacking them uh, as, as we go along. And so one of the questions we're going to be asking ourselves, so I need to make sure, we need to deconstruct deconstructionism. Yeah, that would be, uh, that would be a spiral, Kevin, good. Yeah. Um, we need to ask the question, how are we being shaped? What is shaping us? What are the stories? And do we know the Christian story? Do we know the competing stories? How is our lives shaped by these stories? Now the problem is, is that there's a lot of stories out there and we're not always aware how they shape us. But these stories, they shape our identity. You'll see in, our, in your notes, we talk about identity. Who am I? We answer that we, we have to, everyone has to answer the question, who am I? And the sense of identity leads to a conviction. Okay, this is who I am, and so this is what I believe. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes our convictions don't actually match up with our identity. I meet a lot of people who are atheists. They say, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I believe what you see is what you get. That's all there is. It's just all we are is a bunch of firing neurons. That's all we are. We're nothing. And then in the same breath saying, you know, this is what you really ought to do. I'm like, well, hang on. If all we are is a bunch of firing neurons, if what you see is what you get, on what basis are you telling me that I should do something or not? What, on what basis are you drawing this assumption that this is good and this is not good? Because I would think the the implications of a materialist worldview is that there is not necessarily a sense of transcendence, of goodness. Anyhow. But our ethics are shaped. And then from our ethics, our actions are shaped. And so one of the, one of the challenges as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, is do our actions reflect our ethics which reflect our convictions which reflect our identity are we in sync or do we say we're christian but we live like someone else and do you know one quick way to test whether or not you're in sync with what you believe and your actions is to tell me right away right away right away if i if you won eight million dollars tonight how what would you do you give it to me Okay, you passed, Jim. You passed. Okay, that's good. <laughs> it is an interesting question. If you won the lottery, which only in the West we'd ever ask that question, but if you won the lottery, what is the first thing you think of how you'd spend it? I think that's, that might say something. And the danger, the danger in the Christian life is, is compartmentalization. And compartmentalization is we believe one story, but we live a different story. It used to be called hypocrisy. And the problem is we live around so many stories, as Ian Proven, an Old Testament scholar, puts it, he says, we are being catechized by TikTok and the internet. 
How much time do we spend online and how much time do we spend meditating on what it means to follow Jesus? And so there's a lot of stories out there. And we need to wrestle with the fact of, okay, as a Christian, how do I live a congruent life? The two challenges for Christians are we need to live a congruent life where we live in congruence to what we say we believe. And the other thing is we need to live a life of integrity. And the word integrity comes from the word, it's integral, one. We live in a oneness of what we believe, our story, all fits together. We're called to live a congruent life. And so this class, we will look at Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, and how it reshapes everything. And then we're going to look at the implications of Jesus' reality. And so the way forward, and uh, one guy pointed this out to me once, um, and I've talked about this before. How many of you have ever worked retail? Okay, yeah. I worked retail for years. Now remember, remember, what was the thing called? There was this, it was called money. Remember money? Um, where people actually had money with numbers on it and the queen and stuff like that and Wilfrid Laurier and, yeah, okay. So one of the things I was taught when I worked retail was to beware of what? Counterfeit. Counterfeit. And so how do you teach somebody in retail what counterfeit looks like? Show them the real thing. You don't show them counterfeit. You say, this is what the real McCoy feels like. If you know this, if you really know this, then you'll be able to spot any imitation. And so part of the challenge in this class is we're going to look at the real McCoy. What is the biblical story? And along the way, we're going to look at competing stories and how they relate. So when we look at creation, we're not just going to look at creation. We're going to look, okay, what are some competing stories of creation in our world today? How does the Christian story differ? What are the implications of the Christian story and the implications of some of these surrounding stories? Okay? So that's what we're going to be doing. And we're going to look at, look at this over the next few weeks. And so one of the things we'll look at is we're going to look at uh, creation. And then we're going to look at um, creation and the fall. And in, we may touch on it when we look at the fall. But how what our expectations should be for government. I think we'll touch on that next week. That'll, that'll be fun, right? And then we're going to look at um, much of the Old Testament is the story of Israel, but the story of Israel is the story of exile and how that image of exile might shape how we are to live our lives in this world. And then we're going to look at um, Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and all the implications of that. Just, well, not all, but lots of the implications. We're going to look at uh, how, how history has an end and what that means and what are the implications of that. We're going to explore idolatry. We're going to look at uh, technology and imagination. Many of you are working, you have jobs, but you have no idea how to see work. And that's where Paul Stevens is so good. Yeah, Paul did a lot. I had Paul here, um, not here in this building, but in the old building, uh, about uh, calling and the importance of calling. What does that look like? We're going to spend some time talking about identity and sexuality, which apparently is a big issue in our culture today. Um, we'll be exploring that. We'll look at how we got into this mess in the first place. 
And in the midst of all this, do you know what we have going on? Is we have a conference. We have a conference on February 12th, which is a Saturday. And in that conference, we have um, Ian Proven coming here. He's an Old Testament guy from Regent College. I've had him here many times. He's so good. But he's going to be looking, the, the conference is called Living in Exile. And he's going to be looking at this question, how do we live Christianly in the world today? And uh, Ian's so good. And so that's going to be on the Saturday the 12th. So I would encourage you guys to come out. We're also offered on Zoom as well. And it's really cheap. It's a cheap conference, especially if you sign up sooner than later. Uh, it's only 10 bucks. 10 bucks. Can't even buy an Americano for 10 bucks. Or maybe you can. But. Um, any questions? Okay, I'm going to give you homework. Denise. Yes, I have homework for you. I have homework. So, um, well, before we, before we do it, I wanted to just. Actually, yeah. I'll tell you the homework and then, um, but I also wanted to, uh, to give you guys some practice. I'll give you some practice and then I'll give you the homework. How's that? I'm going to give you a word and I want you to tell me the stories surrounding this word as it comes to mind. Okay? We're just going to, this is practice, right? So if I say the word environment, what are the stories that surround that? Global warming. Global warming, yes. Global warming or climate change, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, now, yeah, we'll just say change. Yeah. Okay, so environment in crisis, right? Good. The world I live in. The world I live in. Oh, okay, the environment that I live in. Very good, yeah. Yeah. Right, that just went off. Yeah, the underwater volcano that affected Tonga um, and the tsunamis. Yeah. God's creation. God's creation. Okay, that's a story. Yeah, what else? <laughs> yeah, so how to take care of the environment. What are the minimum things that you should do? Reuse, reuse reduce, recycle. Yeah, those three R's. Yeah. Yeah, what? Protests. Protests, yeah. Right. So, because it's a crisis, people are saying this is so important. It requires some pretty strong intervention. What else? Business opportunity, yes. Yeah, where you can invest in EVs, right? Uh, electric vehicles and say farewell to, to gas, uh, go, those gas guzzling vehicles, and instead, you know, mine lithium, which is way better for the environment. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I should have said that. <laughs> what else? Pipelines, yeah, and the controversy of the pipelines. The other thing is, is, is when you think about environment, is you think, oh, I should see what you guys did. Politics? <laughs> okay. Um, the new religion. Oh, very good. Yeah. Um, is the interconnectedness of life. 
that we are all one ecosystem belonging to one another with no organism having more value than another. That's, that's a story that's connected to it as well. And so we need to, we need to unpack this a little bit. And we will next week. What about... Um, What about uh, consumerism? What are the stories? Amazon. Or shopping, what would you say shopping? What's that? Amazon. Amazon. Very good, and so what's the story with that? Money. I see Norm with his big Amazon sweater. Yeah. Um, okay, so money, but what, what's the story also specifically with Amazon? Oh, okay, good. Yes, okay, yeah. Yeah, so the, the debt load, the increasing debt load and, and, and basically mortgaging the future and the impact that that will have upon the next generation. So that's also part of consumerism. Right, and so the other thing with consumerism is the impact that um, cheap labor and the impact this could have upon other nations for our own benefit in, in, in the West. Very good. Um, more stuff is very important, very good. Having the latest and the greatest equals acceptance in today's world. Try to satisfy yourself with stuff and wanting to buy more and more. So there's a correlation between what I have and how happy I am which is a story. And also with that, with Amazon, I just thought the idea of, of even how we acquire stuff is we require stuff to come to us now, which is quite interesting. We don't even go out to get the stuff. It's just come to us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anything else? Okay, well, here's your homework. Your homework is I want you this week to watch the news. No, <laughs> I want you to know. You don't have to watch the news. Um, but I want you to look at your, if you're on social media um, or if you are on TV and you are watching the news, what I want you to do is to come up with about two or three stories, two, two or three things that you noticed this week that have an embedded story within them and try to unpack what is the story being told so an example if you see the latest Taylor Swift video um, what is the story being told about Taylor Swift and who she is and why we should pay attention I like Taylor Swift but um, what what's the story being told in a celebrity culture does that sound good I think we, what, what I'd like us to do is to get into the practice of spotting stories in our culture. And then I want you to start leaning in. Okay, so as a Christian, as a Christ follower, how do I then think about this story? 
what is my Christian response to this story? Okay, so you have the story. This is what the story's told. But how should I respond to this? What does it mean to respond to this as a Christian? And then during our time together, we will be unpacking all the different ways um, our world is misshaped and then what it means to reshape this world according to Jesus. Any questions? Does this sound good? I think it'll be a lot of fun. Um, we're going to have lots of fun. We're going to be hitting lots of stories. So, um, okay, good. Yeah, you guys wrote it down. Are we good? Okay, well, let me lead us in prayer, and we'll go from here. And we will have cookies next week, I think. Jim, just, just, I know it's important to you. So, All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you in desperate need of you. Jesus, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and the beginning and the end. And all things make sense because of you. And we live in a world where our world is increasingly confusing, and our lives are increasingly fragmented, and we feel anxious. And so we pray that you would guide us that you would give us eyes to see our eyes are so blurry or they're so distracted or whatever we want to say but we long to see this world through the lens of who you are and so teach us how you reshape everything in this world lead us and we will follow you draw us into the intimacy of who you are in the breaking of the bread, that we would, we would recognize you in the details of our lives. That's our desire. So we commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.